Hello and welcome to the Alba Diversity Podcast, an Alba network undertaking to profile and highlight diverse and immigrant neuroscientists. The Alba network aims to promote equity and diversity in the brain sciences. We talk to neuroscientists across positions, career paths and backgrounds to better understand their personal journeys. We showcase the grit and determination it takes to overcome hurdles as part of underrepresented or minority groups. We talk about what keeps them going as individuals and as neuroscientists in today's world. Hi, I'm Ibukuma Kirinade. Uh, I just finished my PhD program from Instituto Lubecca de Ciencia, and I'm currently about to start a postdoc in the University of Calgary in uh, J.D. Bain's lab. I studied the social neuroscience. I looked at the role of oxytocin in social information use during traits perception in zebrafish. <laughs> How did you get to neuroscience? I mean, how did you first start thinking about neurons and brains? Tell us a little bit about your journey. Actually, during my master's program in Nigeria, uh, I met so my my uh, supervisor then. His name is uh, Professor Caxton Martins. So he, he was a professor in the University of Ife in Nigeria, mm-hmm. and then uh, upon retirement, he was called on by my. A university in Ellorin then to start up a postgraduate program in anatomy. He, he actually got me into research in general. Oh, gosh, wow. And then during the course work, he then introduced neuroscience. Unfortunately, at that time, I didn't, I didn't uh, work on neuroscience for my thesis, but I had, you know, started developing interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at the end of my master's program, I decided that I would love to pursue a, a, a career in neuroscience. That's great. That is, go for my PhD and then, you know, expand in my, in my knowledge of neuroscience. At that time, at the time of my master's program, I was working with uh, rats. But then during my PhD program in Portugal with uh, Professor Rui Oliveira, that was when I started working with zebrafish. Because I, I also belong to a, a charity ex, uh, organization trained in Africa who are trying to promote the use of other simpler models like Drosophila, uh, zebrafish or C. elegans uh, because of how cost effective they are. Yeah. So in my case, it was perfect because uh, Gubenkian Institute, uh, Professor Hui was working with, is working with zebrafish. So it was perfect for me to explore that option of using, you know, zebrafish. Of course, they are good social organisms, so it was just perfect. Well, so at the time I started my PhD program, I already decided I wanted to work with, uh, to study the brain, to work on neuroscience. But what really increased my knowledge, aside from the interest I developed with my former supervisor, was when I went for the trend program, the trend workshop that mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier. So basically, it's, a, it's an intensive workshop, uh, a three-week workshop. The, the goal of the workshop is to intimate students into the practical view of neuroscience and molecular biology, because I you know see. the... There's been a wide gra- gap 
in science in general, and then in neuroscience, it's even worse. So the target of the organization was to try to increase the knowledge of students from Africa, from mm-hmm. different parts of Africa. So people are selected to attend this workshop and they go through these three weeks that cuts across different fields from behavior to electrophysiology to molecular biology. They try to develop a practical knowledge. So it's, it's intensive because it's practical based. That was my first time of really being exposed to all these cool techniques. Training Africa workshop, it was organized in Uganda. So what they do is they get equipment from different universities or institutes, and then they try to set up a lab there. So the lab in which they set up to be used by scientists in that university. So it's a way of developing um, research in that region. And of course, it skyrocketed my interest in neuroscience. Uh, Also that year, I got a grant to visit a lab in France where I then developed my uh, knowledge in terms of technical skills. So I looked at the role of stress systems in addiction. And then subsequently, I enrolled in the PhD program in Portugal to study um, the role of um, oxytocin in social information use during threat perception. I always feel, I don't know, please correct me if, if you feel otherwise, but I always feel neuroscience is something that people get into uh, because of techniques. Yes. Like, I got into neuroscience because I thought like slice electrophysiology was fascinating. I said, oh my God, you can take a glass pipette and you can poke a cell and you can see exactly like single action potential. And I just... For my own story, it was really the behavior. Looking at the behavior of the organism and then being able to assess the brain to see what regions are responsible for such behaviors. I think for me, it was really fascinating. Do you have someone that you consider to be a role model or a mentor? And and bear in mind, of course, they don't have to be a scientist and they don't have to be, you know, related to science. But anybody in your life who you who you think has influenced you or is is influencing you? In the in the aspect of science, I have a, a mentor, and she happens to be the the co-founder of the organization that I've been talking about. about. <laughs> So her name is Lucia Prieto Godino. She's currently a principal investigator in the Francis Crick Institute. So at the time she started the trade organization, she was actually a PhD student. So she went for this workshop in Cold Spring Arbor. So while attending that workshop, she met a participant who happens to be Nigerian. And then they got discussing and then he started talking to her about the challenges that is being faced by Africans in terms of research and specifically uh, neuroscience research. And that uh, spurred our interest in trying to develop like an organization where they can bring this cool equipment that are really not being used any longer in, uh, in the Western uh, world to bring it to, to Africa to then try to reutilize this equipment by people that really you know crave for such knowledge so that was what brought about training africa she happens to be really cool you know learning about our story you know as a phd student it's really not easy to try to to conceive the idea not only to conceive the idea 
but also to bring it into fruition. It's really not easy as a PhD student. You're focusing on your research. I can imagine like, I mean, I, <laughs> it's really not easy. You're trying to get results because you want the PhD, you want to defend. Have been able to conceive the idea and bring it to, to reality. It's, it took a lot of guts. And then, of course, being able to cut across the bureaucratic process of getting the equipment to Africa, setting it up, and then organizing a workshop. It took a, a lot of you know, perseverance, patience, and really those were the things I, I admired in her. And you know, not just during the workshop, even after the workshop, she kept in contact with us and tried as much as possible you know, to set people up. Some of the, the alumni from the, uh, from the workshop, if they need like reference letters or if they need like advice on, on how to write this research, write a specific research proposal. Basically, she's always, you know, there to render assistance uh, whenever she can. It's with those qualities that I, call, I, I see her as my, as my mentor. In terms of my scientific uh, <laughs> career, she's my model. And then in terms of my personal life, my, my mother-in-law is my model. <laughs> and why do I say so? She's, she's an amazing person. Like I remember when I wanted to go to France to start to go for this one year research, I already had a, my son and he was barely a year old. You know, I was torn between decisions. What do I do? Do I stay? Do I go? And having an academician, she, she talked to me and she said, pursue your dream. This is a one in a lifetime opportunity go for it your son will be proud of you not just the advice she also decided to take care of my of my boy during the period and yeah she's been super support, supportive I, my family basically i'm quite lucky in terms of support from my my family but yeah my my parents also my my siblings and my 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 husband's family have all, all been supportive. Um, yeah. yeah, no, these are these are the kind of things that, that, you know, I feel people don't fully understand. I mean, they just say, oh, yeah, you have somebody to take care of your son. Go, you can do what you want. But like the emotional, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's not easy. I, I struggled a lot, like focusing. I felt, you know, the guilty trip. I felt guilty, like, how can I, how can I leave my son and then go pursue <laughs> my career? No, but your mother-in-law made it possible for you. And like, I'm sure her grit, yes. her determination, her view of the future. I think that's, that's the unique bit. Like she, she can see you being a PI back in Nigeria. And I think she understood, uh, she understood what she has to do and her role in it. And, and that's very amazing. Very few. Yes. Really you said cool. she was also an academician. Yes, yes, she was a, 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 a lecturer. Yeah, she was a college professor. The, the reason why we're doing this this series is is to highlight sort of people who are who are part of diverse groups and who are part of immigrant groups or minority groups. What we want to do is to is to understand a little more closely the kind of experiences you know the that people from diverse groups have 
and and maybe use that a little bit to see how we can improve you know the general culture of of diversity and inclusivity in neuroscience i don't need to explain to anybody you are clearly a part of of an underrepresented group and not in one way i mean not just the fact that you're you're from africa but the fact that you're a woman how do you feel about this and like how have do you have any incidents where it has sort of played a role and you think it helped you or it didn't help you so much coming as an african descent the the first thing that comes to my mind is the fact that we've had a limited resources in research and that was what actually spurred my interest in trying to acquire more knowledge to then be able to give back uh, as much as i can i you know i before i i moved out of africa i never thought about you know being a mean um a, a minority it wasn't like a it didn't come like a suddenly i think i i i gradually realized i was of a minority group when i i went to to france and also coupled with the fact that i could not speak fluently i mean the language fluently so <laughs> i had a basic knowledge of french in school so i could get by a bit but then you know when it comes to making real lengthy conversations i really struggled but i have to say that because of all i i had to go through i really didn't focus or dwell on on my limitations you know if if i'm if i'm minority i wouldn't i i wouldn't see this as a challenge i would see this as a a, a, motiva- a motivating factor for me so that i would be able to accomplish what i i seek and yeah that was my that was my thought process exactly yeah no i i hear you it's it's pretty much i think what all minority groups do yes <laughs> if you think about it you know that's that's how it can be depressing right yeah and that's how we overcome like our immediate problems i have a feeling that's ingrained in us uh, probably as part yes. of our culture yes uh, that you know the, the the you cannot look at problems as problems exactly you have to look at them as stepping stones yeah yes, as exactly and then you, you know, You, you talked about uh, being an, a woman in, in, in neuroscience. So it's even, it's even more than neuroscience. Uh, being a, a woman in, in science or in research in general, it's, it's a big challenge. In my case, I was already with a, a child and I had to make the, the sacrifice of, of, of leaving my child for a while to acquire more knowledge. And... in fact the way science is uh it's it's even more difficult for women in 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 neuroscience or in science because there's this mindset that after a phase of your career for you to transition to the next phase you need to leave your location and imagine someone who has roots in that location you've got family then you have to leave your family to 
another location in order to in- increase your knowledge. What if you you don't have the support of your family? In my case, I was very fortunate to have a, a very supportive husband. He joined me in Portugal where I pursued my PhD program. He had to leave his job to support me in this <laughs> in this scientific part. And then now, I've, I mean, I tried to establish himself in Portugal. We had to move again from Portugal to Canada. So imagine if I didn't have a, a supportive husband. I know of, of uh, some, some women that cannot do this. As a woman in, in science, it's really, really difficult. And that's why we have fewer and fewer women. At a time during my PhD program, I was really down. I was like, can I do this? Can I complete, <laughs> can I reach this goal that I've set for myself? And then I had to think again from, of my kids because they've always been my motivation. I, I could have decided to be a stay-at-home mom and be a good stay-at-home mom. But then I decided to pursue this career. So I should be good at what I'm doing. At the end, I would have, I would be a good role model for them. Especially people living in the West, in the North, uh, who have all of these, you know, uh, accessible uh, universities and laboratories and science and research. I, I think they uh, they do tend to take it for granted more than, I guess, you or me, we do, because we we know the value of, you yes. know, uh, and and we know it not just in money. We know it in in our hard work and in all yes. the sacrifices that we yes. have. To make. Yes. Uh, so I had this experience when I, I, I went for a, a course in another country. I was asked the question by one of a, a, a woman who happens to be in charge of the program run there. So she was like, wow, you're in this PhD program. That's really good. We usually have um, applications from people from your part of the, of the world. And we always have this doubt if we can admit them basically she was trying to say they weren't sure if people from africa can cope with the program there and the time she asked that it was my first experience i just gave a, a basic a simple response like oh yes we are able to 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 thrive to survive to understand afterwards i had i started processing the questions that wow this is a, a bigger question it opens up the question of um, inclus- inclusiveness in science. The, the main problem, uh, what I see, is the, is the gap. There's this huge gap in science because of the limited resources available in these developing countries. There are people with incredible minds, beautiful minds, uh, highly intelligent and skillful people, highly innovative people, but with limited resources. And if they still have this fear of 
how we will survive, <laughs> then the gap will still exist. I mean, the beauty of science is the coming together of uh, people from diverse backgrounds, bringing um, knowledge from their various field, uh, backgrounds and fields and creating something beautiful called science, scientific research, scientific ideas, scientific innovation. As long as that is not in place, I don't, I don't, I don't think we would have these this, uh, innovations that comes from science, from scientific research. Like we, we should have more inclusivity and it comes with this kind of uh, interviews, this kind of discussions. You're absolutely right. That is the reason why Alba Diversity Podcast exists. And, and yes. that's the reason why I'm talking to you. And, yes. and I'm so glad you brought that around. I guess the last thing I have is, is the simpler one. Um, uh, you're a mother, you're a scientist, you do so many things. Um, academia is horrible <laughs> to, to, for work-life balance, so, but it seems like you have it, you, you have the balance. So I'm going to ask you for your tips and tricks. How do you do it? How do you balance work and life? Well, for me, I just leave it one day at a time. <laughs> wise words, very wise words. <laughs> And why do I do this? Because if I focus on only the, 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 the problems or the challenges, I will be overwhelmed. So yeah, at that time, it was really challenging because I had to manage my son. I had to manage classes because I had six months of classes in which sometimes we have to move away from our location elsewhere. We have retreats and yeah. So if I had thought about all the others I have to pass through, I probably would not have this PhD. I probably will just stay back at home and be contented with what I have. So if I had, if I have to think about all the, the challenges I will face and overcome, I wouldn't move, but then I'm leaving it. At least now I'm here. The next step is to try to see how uh, to settle down. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Alba Diversity Podcast. To know more about the Alba Network and its activities to promote equity and diversity in the brain sciences, please visit alba.network. You can also register as a member for free and take full advantage of the network's resources. For more details, follow the Twitter handle at network underscore Alba or AlbaNetBrain on Facebook.